0: Today I'm joined by Sean Hannigan. This is the actual hundredth episode of the Market Narratives podcast series, and actually, it's a great opportunity to bring back the first guest uh, that we had on the series. Sean, welcome. Thanks, Alex. Oh, I think it's uh, incredible that, to think it's been a hundred
1: episodes since we had that first one. Uh, congratulations, mate. That's really that's really impressive.
0: Well, thank you. It's uh, probably a bit of um, determination, and it's COVID. Um, and just a curiosity, just go and reach out to as many people as I can, talk about as many different parts of the market as I can as well. And it's a good opportunity to really broaden out people's ability to talk about anything, particularly when you can't travel. There's not really the same amount of events and people are looking to, to share their views. Right. Now, last time that we spoke, you were, I think, actually trapped in Whistler. Uh, COVID was starting to hit and um, you were looking to try and work your way back out of Whistler to come back home to New Zealand. How, you know, what actually happened since then?
1: Yeah, so we, uh, so we finally, did, we, we got into a bit of travel in, in Canada. We, we, did, we sort of, they the COVID came out, they opened up enough for us to get in a car and we did 10,000 kilometres up through British Columbia, Alberta and up into the Yukon. So we got up into a couple of hundred kilometres from the Arctic Circle, 24 hours daylight, um, which was pretty cool, and then yeah, end of August, early September, we we came back to New Zealand. Um, the 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 plan was to have a month here in New Zealand, then come back to Aussie, and start to sort of have a look around, see what opportunities there were. But um, we did our two weeks in quarantine in New Zealand. Um, and at that stage in September, they hadn't opened the travel bubble with Australia, and I could not do another two weeks in quarantine. I just found it incredibly hard. You know, given the uh, not working, just trying to f- occupy yourself for two weeks, it was, yeah, it was pretty tough.
0: I think throwing a tennis ball against the wall after a while gets pretty boring. So uh, you need to start doing things. But as a guy who follows the markets, there should have been something there that was interesting for you to oh, do. Oh, look, and I did. I did. You know, I sort of, I, 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 I read as much as I could. But,
1: you know, even trying to read all day is pretty hard work. I watched some pretty, pretty interesting uh, series on uh, YouTube or Netflix. I did the History of the Roman Empire, which is pretty cool. And then, yeah, but then I started to reach out to people. And so we made a decision. So, I, yeah, I, we, we came back to New Zealand because I had my first grandchild born here. So I thought, well, I said to my wife, well, let's just have a look around New Zealand. You know, we both got aged parents here in New Zealand. And having a grandchild, I said, maybe maybe let's spend a few years in New Zealand um, if there's an opportunity. I reached out to a lot of people. Um, and when I got out of quarantine, I started having face-to-face meetings. And, uh, and I said I'd, I'd, I'd sort of shake the tree till December and see what opportunities presented themselves. And a young guy reached out to me. He had a fairly large distribution business, distributing some other people KiwiSaver. And he said, "Uh, would you like to build our own KiwiSaver? And so I spent several months doing DD. And that's where we're progressing now. So we'll be launching, we'll probably get our first customers in two to three weeks. So we've gone through that process. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty amazing how things pan out. I had no intention of ever starting my own business. That was never on the radar. But suddenly, you know, COVID deals your hand and you play the cards you dealt, right? So I'm now sort of starting up a KiwiSaver. And it's really exciting, Alex. Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually putting into practice a lot of the things that I'd learned over the years, working both in consulting and in with AMP Capital. And yeah, and that's... So there's a bit of a story there, which... Or maybe I'll talk through. Yeah, look, I'm
0: approach. happy happy for you to give a bit of context in it. Um, obviously, given your background, you know, in portfolio management, and and always very curious to push the dial on things. I'm curious to yep. see how would you approach Kiwi Saver.
1: Yeah, so look, it was interesting. So when when I was uh, running the multi asset business at AMP Capital, the AXA AMP merger happened, and we had IPAC come into our business. So you know, it was interesting. that sort of initially we were so a little bit skeptical of the I, the the IPAC approach. But within two years, or even less time than that, actually figured out they had it right, and so what they did, which so what, what the, the the you know maybe this is a little bit harsh, but I think this is my perception at, at what we did is so we, we highly paid, pretty affluent fund managers sitting in an ivory tower, building really smart investment solutions, and then going to the customer or the client and saying. Yeah, and I'm talking retail here rather than institutional, and going to the client and saying, yeah, swallow this, it's really good for you. Whereas the IPAC approach was, so all the portfolio managers in the IPAC business had real proximity to the advisors. They spent a lot of time with the advisors. They got to know and understand the customer need, and then they'd build a solution to meet that customer need. And, you know, us on our ivory tower would look at that solution and think, oh, yeah, you yeah, no, that's not, that's, it, that's, that's no good. But, the, but what, we didn't, what we failed to understand was that solution wasn't designed for us. It was designed for a very different customer. You have to start with the customer need. Don't sort of start with this wonderful solution without fully understanding the customer need. And that customer proximity is really, really important. And so what really attracted me about this opportunity at Diamond is that we're creating a, a, effectively a virtually integrated business model where me as a portfolio manager, is going to be sitting and spending a lot of time with the advisors, and so I'm trying to embrace the IPAC approach, where that sort of I see that advantage as you know that that, that proximity is an advantage. Now, the model in Australia, a lot of those aligned channels are well, there's this conflict of interest, there's this conflict issue, you know, the independence, and I always had the view that if if you want to buy a BMW car, you don't go to a Ford salesman, but so the model in Australia is is okay, you've got to have these independent advisors. So the the problem with that is that independent advisor in sitting down and understanding the customer need has to effectively know the whole market to try and understand how to build a solution to that need. So how do you understand what the sort of 50, 60, 70, 200 investment products out there, how do you understand, how do you have that real knowledge about what they can provide and what they do? Okay, sure, you could use consultants and advisors to to rate, but what ends up happening, there's so much, again, focus on past performance. And, you know, we both know that actually past performance is a very poor indicator to assess and pick managers. The noise to skill is such that you actually, it's proof of process. It's not evidence of skill. And so I think the model where you have proximity to, so the advisors will speak to me all the time. They'll understand exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. I'll understand their need. Understand the issues that are front of mind for their adv- for their customers, their clients. You know, we can just make sure that communication is really, really tight. So what we're doing is we're going to really focus on having effective communication. Now, the the, the, the solutions that we're building, we're going to have a real ESG and climate focus. I think climate change is something that is just so so important. I mean, it's a little bit flippant, but you you make the point that well, you know, why is it twenty five year old? Why save for your retirement at 65 if this, you know, you're potentially not going to have much of a. oh that's a bit dramatic. Yeah, sure, but you know, this thing is really, really serious. And the more I've investigated and got into it, the more re- I realise just how important it is. So, and the other thing actually, Alex, is quite interesting. Like we, we had a we had a ESG fund at AMP Capital, and I've effectively been out of the market for two years. And it's incredible in that two years how far ESG has progressed. You know, it's gone from being well more than fringe, but it's just so mainstream now. So we, we, we're having a, a real focus on ESG as well. But the interesting thing about this climate focus is we're trying to partner with a a startup here that offsets carbon footprints. Mm-hmm. So we can try to get all our members to offset their carbon footprint, as well as we're creating a fund that's going to not only avoid the bad stuff, but invest in newer technology that potentially helps the climate. So it's not just avoid, it's also invest. And we're just going to try and make a real focus on this climate because our research shows most of our potential clients are in the sort of the 25 to 35 age group. Climate really matters for them. And so what we'll be doing with our reporting is just not reporting on performance, but reporting on, reporting on climate metrics. Show what the carbon footprint of the portfolio is, how it's changed, what, you know, and a few other sort of climate-related metrics to try to say, okay, I think the other point that with, with, with IPAC is, you know, I think it's really, really hard to... Uh, build loyalty purely on performance. I think there's a cliche about you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So we want a much deeper level of, well, not deeper, but a different form of loyalty, which is built around aligned beliefs. So be very clear and articulate what your beliefs are, and then just reinforce that through your reporting, communicating. I'm a bit worried that I'm doing all the talking here. No, but, so. well, don't
0: worry. I, I've taken down a lot of notes because there's quite a few things that I'd really like to to pick you up on um, before we go down the ESG path because I think that's a, a real minefield to to go into. Absolutely, I want to go back to your ability to to deliver product solutions to individual clients, and one of the biggest challenges around the cost effectiveness of doing that and and this targeted you know, individual style client approach. How do you you know deal with that? Yeah,
1: problem? look, I'm not sorry. I, I, so. I think our cohort of investors are reasonably homogeneous in terms of average income, 50,000, average balance in a Kiwi Saver, sorry, 50,000, 15,000 in a Kiwi Saver, average age of 32, most, you know, and, and looking to buy their first home. That's the sort of, so that's the cohort that we're, that we're looking at. So, you know, when I talk about product, it's more for that cohort rather than for individual members. But what is pretty impressive about, my business partner is that he has built a advice platform that targets middle New Zealand, so you know he he can do it cost effectively for someone of that cohort, which is pretty which is pretty rare. Now it's not a there's different levels of advice, you know there's specific and there's it is, there's more the sort of bland advice, which says okay you're 32, you want to save for your Kiwi for your first home that should be in a conservative fund, but the stuff that you're for retirement should be in a more growthy fund. It's that level of advice. It's not saying, if you want to live off $50,000 a year when you're 75, you've got to put an X. You know that That's far more specific. And they will look to provide that advice, but it's more generic advice. But even that advice is good because what happened, a lot of the KiwiSaver default funds were conservative funds because the, the default providers were saying, listen, we, you know we don't want to have a negative return. That's going to spook the investors. So we'll make it a conservative fund. And that's not really where you want to be if you're saving for your, you know, you've got a 40-year time horizon.
0: Definitely not if you're 25. So I'm sort of curious, then, how do you think about talking people through that? You know, how do you give them enough advice to actually understand that if you're in a more growth-orientated space, particularly as you now start talking about the need to invest in newer technologies, some of these newer technologies do have higher risk and there's higher higher potential for, for drawdowns. How do you then sort of explain? Yeah, well, look, I mean,
1: that's about that's about portfolio construction, Alex. You know, and so we've tried to build a fund that has is just going to manage that volatility. So we have a we have a core exposure to global equities uh, and emerging markets, and then have a a range of thematic funds with a sort of five to six percent allocations built around that. So it's almost you know a bit of a barbell. It's not low vol, but it's but we're trying to manage that risk. And the average growth fund in New Zealand's eighty twenty. And we've made this fund 70-30 um, just to try to dampen that volatility. So, yeah, there's, there's more about the portfolio construction. So the the, the, the engagement with the members more just about saying, okay, this is a long-term retirement. You know, and the other, sorry, the other issue in New Zealand which the QBSA over here is that people only contribute between 4 and 5%. You know, the contribution rate is, is, although you do have, there's no means-tested super. There's, there's super here that's not means-tested. So everyone gets super on ocean, no matter what your balance is. So that's sort of, helps offset the under contribution, but people still, you know, the contribution rate certainly needs to be lifted as well. But people don't get advice, you know, that's that's the issue. It's just, they, and it's amazing when, while we're in the industry, we don't, I don't think we quite appreciate how little knowledge there is outside of it.
0: I think the challenge there is that a lot of the advice people uh, are quite separate from the portfolio management teams. It's it's so distinct, that group. And then the people that are sort of trying to help bridge the gap between the portfolio manager and the advisors is some marketing person that probably has no idea about the real investment strategy or understanding that level of communication. It's a very different person that sits in between those two groups. Yeah. Well, I'm doing both effectively.
1: You know, It's not a big business. There's probably sort of 80 odd advisors, 65 to 70 advisors. And so part of what we're trying to make sure happens is that flow of information is seamless. You know, if the once the business starts to get more scale, obviously you have to think about that. But at this stage, and that's something which I'm really excited about, to be honest, Alex, you know, it's always getting out and sort of meeting your clients is something I've always enjoyed. You know, my last role running the multi-asset group, I just didn't get to do that. You know, I was just dealing with running the business, really, which is a very different – so being in a startup is – Exciting, And actually being in the startup, it's it made me realize how little I know. You know, once you're getting into the weeds and t- dealing with your custodians and your administrators and it's all this sort of stuff that I've just got very little knowledge on. So it's been pretty steep learning curve for me as well, but I, I, I'm i really enjoying it.
0: Well, it's very different, obviously, when you're in such a large business where everything is very much institutionalized. You've got very clear delineation of people's roles within the Absolutely. business. Um, it is very easy to just become disassociated and literally sit within your silo and, and not – really have to worry about any other part of the business and just assume that someone else will take that responsibility.
1: Yeah, and the average age of the, the company, the average employee age is about 28. Jeez. And so so I, <laughs> I, I, I bring that up. Without me, it would be 27. <laughs> so it's it's so different and it's really, it's, it's, it's so much fun. It really is.
0: I, I really do enjoy it. Let's come back to the ESG components because I yep. think that's one of the areas that is, Still very much in flux. There's a lot of interest. I don't think anyone would raise their hand and say, "Look, I'm against supporting the climate. I'm, a- I'm against, um, you know, trying to do what I can within my portfolio." But the challenge is how to actually do that effectively. Um, yep. You mentioned one case in terms of carbon footprint. You know, there's a lot of other different ways now in terms of approaches that different people, the the investors can say, what values do I support? It almost becomes a value-driven piece, right? Because climate is just one part of ESG. There's yep. issues around company transparency, racial Completely. equality, gender equality, customer safety, ethical leadership. There's all sorts of things. We've got SDGs as well. You know, how do you then try to build different portfolios that almost align with people's different values, which is where we're seemingly going to?
1: Yeah. Look, and so as a startup, We've our options are very limited. You know, I reached out to some people I know in Australia and saying, "Listen, we want to. This is what we're looking to build. You know, what what are the options for investing in some of your funds?" are oh, even though it's a UK a European listed USIT, minimum investment is twenty five million. Okay, well, okay, we're starting with zero. So what we effectively we white labeling a uh, a couple of funds for a domestic manager here that is highly rated on the UNPRI. So they they have the highest rating in New Zealand on New Empire, right, along with the New Zealand Superannuation Fund. So that, you know they've they've got credibility there, and then I'm building a um, a climate change portfolio using BlackRock ETFs. But I understand what you're saying. You like know, it, it's, but I think that people are on a journey here, and I, I think you know I'm I'm I believe in what the objectives are. I think everyone's got to get far better at how we measure. You know, there's talk about greenwashing, right? It's it's that's that's the big Thing now, but it's. I think often with with some of these things, there's a lot of skeptics that throw stones because they're quite comfortable with the status quo. But you know, and it, 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 take climate. Okay, I might be naive, but take climate. I think as you said, whatever happens, it's got to be a good to treat the climate better. You know, that that's a base case. I think it's far more serious than that. And I think we don't really have a choice. So my belief is is that I believe it's the right thing to do. And let's worry about, uh, are we perfect with it? That's a second order challenge as far as I'm concerned. You know, I'd rather be trying to do the right thing and maybe not doing it properly, but at least we're making an effort and we'll get better with it over time.
0: As long as we're not virtue signalling, because I think that's very dangerous in this current environment. And it's it's something something that really bothers me because a lot of people wave all sorts of flags and uh, are quite hypocritical ultimately. They'll wave a particular flag and the way they behave and act um, day to day is really distinct from what they're you know, professing
1: yeah and that's one of the things that we've i've said to my business we need to be authentic because especially the you know the gen y's and the gen z's they can sense, smell when people aren't being authentic i think their raters are really strong at this and not you know there's nothing worse absolutely as you say to be profession to be the sort of the best in class whereas it's just it's not authentic you know you can't talk about being a climate thing and um, focus and then drive around in a sort of uh, six litre car,
0: right? <laughs> oh, look, we've got people like that that drive around in land cruises and so forth that uh, are very, very pro uh, ESG, right? That's just unfortunately the the, the type of life we, we live in these days. But uh, you know, the other thing that just came to mind as you were talking about it is really you, know, you can have this uh, process to improve the climate, right? And you, you mentioned that think about the various challenges as you move through the process. It's almost as though you need to explain to the members, how would you actually go about improving your investment process that actually has a greater and greater impact? So you mentioned about ETFs, right? You mentioned sort of BlackRock ETFs is one way. Some people then criticize, okay, that's the start, that's passive. How can you then be more active? How do you then go to different technologies, different sectors? How do you then go to private investments?
1: Absolutely, and that's their journey. You know, as we get scale we intend to get far more active. And ideally, I'd like to, I think there's New Zealand, we'd like to bring managers to New Zealand that we can partner with, put into our portfolios, but also offer to the New Zealand marketplace. You know, And so I think Australia will be an attractive place to identify and find those managers. Australia is a much, much larger market. And so you know we've, as part of our, as, our, as we communicate with members, we'll talk, talk about our journey. You know, we're on this journey together. This is where we want to get to. But at the moment, you know, our scale limits the opportunity set that we can take advantage of. But certainly as we evolve, we want to be far more have far more ownership in terms of how we do this. But as a, as a, as a small startup, the options are somewhat limited, particularly in New Zealand.
0: How much do you also, you know, think about the current market environment uh, in terms of being a startup and trying to get people in, because obviously I know track record is no reflection of the future, but you've yep, got a situation yep. where people are pretty much on tender hooks as to whether markets are overvalued, both equities yep. and bonds. You're starting a new business; the risk is you get some drawdown. You know how does that sort of play into your? Yeah, framing? and look,
1: and and I think what's where we're fortunate is, as I talked, as I've said about our cohort, they're 32s. So actually, a, a big market correction would be a good thing. Perversely, they've got very little money invested. And so it'll be opportunity to invest at far more attractive valuations, you know. And so again, that's the message that we're going to say. Listen, you know, markets may be expensive, but I think there's a look. I, you know, quite frankly, I, I've, I've been worried about markets for two years now, you know. And I think it's uh, I years. think it's probably a good time to have a chat about. I think on ten something. years are
0: probably on on, on you, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And look, and I think it's just such a. I really do worry about it, Alex. I think um, I think the central banks are becoming part of the problem now. I just worry that the the business cycle, the economic cycle, has all been distorted by central bank action. You know, it's just like, I, I think risk is not being punished. It's just there's, you know, as as Alfonso was saying in your last po- podcast, it's just all these zombie companies being kept alive. It's just creating an environment where if you're going to be doing this allocation, you've got to be reading the central the Federal Reserve, you know, don't buck the Fed. It's just, it's, it seems to be just crazy. I, I just and the big worry is when 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 things do go bad, which they will again, it's just, you know, normal sort of excess and um, that you have a correction is what do they do? You know, if if people are central banks have massive balance sheets, quantitative easing is becoming less effective, fiscal expansion is, you know, that's fine, but even that point it starts to get a challenge. I just, I really worry about the the environment. I just think we're going to get a a fairly healthy correction, um, and I just think the central banks, you know, even now they're talking about, you know, not thinking about talking about talking about, you know, <laughs> tapering in twenty twenty three. Or it's just, it's
0: just, it's incredible. Oh, and we get little little volcanoes that erupt constantly alongside any potential uh, threat of of tapering. And um, this is, this is not a healthy market in that sort of circumstance.
1: No, no and it's just, everything's been, you know, the, you sort of bonds at zero negative nominal rates, negative real rates. It's just, it, it's making sort of the, the, a lot of the, well, for people like me that have grown up through the eighties and nineties and two thousands, it's like, how you think about managing markets is actually it creates a bit of a challenge. It's just, it's just, it's all this, just follow the feed.
0: It, it is it is very much in, in, in that particular way. And I think the other challenge is because the Fed's providing still so much liquidity ultimately, or de facto providing liquidity, you're seeing huge amounts of, uh, of asset price inflation. And yep. uh, people feel they've just got to get on board because they're concerned that inflation is going to hit them. And, and well, how do I deal with that? I just throw it into assets. And whether it's in the financial yep. markets or the real asset, house mm-hmm. prices, cars, collectibles, any, any yep. rubbish is, uh, is is running pretty hot. Yeah, um, and I think,
1: you know, and then you get all this sort of the political sort of fallout from that, which is Trumpism, et cetera, where you have, you know, people living on wages that don't have the assets are just really falling behind, you know. And so you, we, we do need wage inflation. We need a bigger share of the pie to be going to Labor rather than shareholder. And, I you know, I just think the, the longer it goes on, the more the sort of the, the snapback potentially will be. And so thinking about it from a portfolio perspective, it is a real challenge. And I, I guess it's, yeah, you know, I, I the, the solution is you've got to start to get into more niche type investments. And I guess there's an advantage being a smaller fund; you have the opportunity to do that. You know, but this big wall of money. I love, I loved Alfonso's analogy about being in a, in a nightclub.
0: <laughs> like <Likewise. laughs> you know, Everyone rushing for the door. It's like that's exactly, that's exactly how it right. is. I got to ask you around the niche investments it's something that is definitely front of my mind um, as wow. as I run my own personal portfolio and, and think about the current risks that are in the market it's very much almost like a a very low risk piece a sort of a mid-risk value oriented tilt and then a yep. very niche, almost biotech approach things that can really yep. go 10 20 30x wow. Um I'm curious around how do you think about it you know in terms of the current trajectory of, of financial markets with the amount of concern around risk and then yep. you know the potential to still capture this large upside because there is a lot of technological gain that's coming um Absolutely. how do you then sort of capture sort of the well, so,
1: yeah and so that's sort of what we're doing with the climate fund so you know we've we've got an exposure to developed markets and emerging markets and so that's your broad market exposure and then a, a portfolio of inflation-linked bonds and green bonds, um, just to give you that sort of that, that bond exposure. Both of those have durations of around eight, which is long duration, and so you know that's that's a little bit of a worry. But I just don't know how far rates can rise. I just think, given the amount of debt out there, I just I can't see rates going up one, two percent. It's just I, I, you know, unless the inflation genie really gets out of the bottle. And I'm not convinced that's going to happen. I think there is, the school of thought about the supply bottlenecks being unblocked and interesting Alfonso's argument about, uh, you know, the zombie companies keeping supply, excess supply out there, you know, so there, so that I'm not too concerned about that. And then, you know, on the thematic side, you have these exposures to these new technologies. And I think that's that's the way to play it. I think it's, uh, I would like to get some exposure if I had a, if the opportunity as we get some scale into, into land slash agriculture. I think that's uh, that's an interesting area, given you know what's happening with on the back of climate change as well, because you're obviously going to get certain areas where it's going to be far more difficult to farm, and, uh, and other areas are going to have to pick up the slack. So I just think if you can if you can tilt, and I think New Zealand's a good opportunity for that. I think we we're potentially down here being a more favourable environment for producing protein, and I think that's an important part. So you can you can think about some of these long term trends and try to play that as part of the portfolio, but it's getting the allocations right between those. Uh, but I think what the way you articulated it actually is quite right. You know, I think you have your your portfolio dampness on one side, your core, and then these playing these more sort of thematic things. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't think I don't think superannuation funds have been very good at diversifying over time. They've thought about every other diversification component, but time and, and Roger Owen at um, at what is Towers Watson used to talk about this? You know, let's play some long term trends. That may have a pretty low probability, but it could be quite significant. And certainly, climate change is one of those, right? So, if you can start to allocate a portion of your portfolio, so what we will do with our clients is we won't, they won't put everything into a climate change fund. I don't think that's, you know, they'll put it into a partly into a growth fund and partly into climate. So, climate will be almost a bit of a barbell in itself to their core part part of their portfolio, which is run by a manager, which is far more dynamic in the asset allocation and the stock selection. So I think combining those two, but it gives you a component of your portfolio. You know, it's really interesting. I think sort of it'd be really nice from someone who's thirty-five investing in the superannuation product, whereby your benefit is not to wait until you get to age sixty-five, but you're actually you're using your superannuation as a means of actually trying to tackle some of the issues that you're concerned about. So it's not it's not um, what do they call it impact investing? It's you know it's it's you, you obviously got to generate a competitive performance that's 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 a given given the nature but it'd be quite nice to have something there where you can actually feel that you're you're making a difference.
0: The, the word impact is has really got multiple meanings. Um, you know, in my in my past life working with LGT, they do impact investing and it's truly impact investing in developing yep. countries like Haiti, Peru, all through yep. Africa and so forth. And so what impact means to them is really how many people they touch and, and return is not a key driver. It's sort of CPI plus a one or right. a 2%. And it's really just almost a- a very very defensive conservative style investment for endowments and and some very high net worth people. Um so impact is sort of thrown around a lot in the yep. traditional institutional class. I'm not sure if it really does line up with that space. I want to also go back to your, your other conversation around super funds and and what their struggle is. They've also got a huge struggle in the competitive environment. You know, it's yep. it's a highly competitive space. You you're ranked every year, every quarter. Oh, um right. and at the same time you're trying to create a portfolio That makes sense for your members, but still try to manage your business risk at the same time, because the business risk is related to your performance risk. It's a very hard challenge.
1: Yeah, and it is. And I I think, you know, I think we've had this conversation before. I just think this obsession with performance is is counterproductive. You know, the analogy I give here is, is, uh, I've often given, if you want to go from Sydney to Melbourne, just plan to take 10 hours. Don't go hire a V8 car and try to do it in six. Now, sure, you could do it, but the chances are you'll get a few speeding fines and maybe even kill yourself from going too fast. So, I think, and what I'm trying to say there is actually, you know, if you can create a portfolio where you, where you say to members, "I'm going to generate inflation plus three year in year out," and if you save, if you want to get a retirement income of X, save Y for annum. You know, so you own the outcome. You're not relying on. Generating this performance and chasing performance because you know, and I, I think, and I think that the industry it's it's just so perverse because every statement about performance says past performance is no guide to future performance, and yet everyone sells on past performance, and it's just and as soon as you got good past performance, you you're out there selling it, and so then members are chasing that performance, and invariably you buy at the top and you sell at the bottom. It's just a, it's it's you know, and Paul Costello when we look when um, he, he he tried to bring in a belief alignment of beliefs when we're talking about my super. But you know, there's there's a lot of political pressure there. If you if you if you're in a sector of the market that's doing really well from performance, it's like you know you you want to you don't want to downplay that. And so I think this sort of the, where the government has gone with this having this performance test is it's, it's going to be counterproductive. Well, you're I, also
0: right? saying that if somebody misses by fifty basis points that they're underperforming. Like yeah. it's 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 fascinating that that's that's considered underperformance, um, particularly with the amount of volatility that's in the markets. And you've also got a situation where people are—they're you know, increasing returns because they're taking higher levels of risk. So, and there really isn't the—the the, uh, I think rebalancing and risk-adjusted style approaches to looking at these returns. Even—even even the way they're talking about returns, there's still very, very little discussion on risk. And even risk yep. as a—as a methodology is, means many different things to many different people. Right? You can have a lot of volatility, right. but drawdown risk is probably the biggest concern for people to have. Um, and over a 30 or 50 year time horizon, uh, how you think about drawdown risk is a very big, very big issue.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Look, and, I, and, and this is the sort of um, the challenges. But having said that, look, the Australian market has done phenomenally well. You know, the industry there is is world class. It really is. And it's um, so as much as you can say we're do, doing things wrong, they're doing far more right. You know, and it's sort of, it's just, I think, I don't know what the market size is now getting up to $3 trillion.
0: Yeah, $3 trillion is, is fair with with super plus also some of the wealth management groups. And that's another whole space that's very interesting, wealth management. Um, there are a number of people that are high net wealth, um, limited by the amount of money that they can obviously put into their super because of the tax benefits. And their, the spillover money is now going into into wealth. So, you know, to that end, there's there's another exciting part of the marketplace that is getting a lot of attention and that is the the, the wealth uh space at the moment.
1: Well, that's exactly right. I think a lot of you know, the, the big retail banks, etc., a lot of the the advisors and stuff are spinning out and going into these much smaller privately owned distribution businesses. And I don't I'm not fully aware of the 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 regulatory scrutiny of that of that side of the market. I don't I, I don't know, but it's sort of um yeah, it's interesting. It's um evolving rapidly. But I still, you know, and the other point that we haven't talked about is this issue about retirement, your know, retirement income and how that's sort of progressing. And I think the government's come out with a discussion paper on that. But I think, you know, that one of the things there is, as our market's obsessed, it's, it's grown up as an accumulation market. And I think we have to get far more uh, effective at communicating about what the income is going to be in retirement rather than what the capital value is. You know, the, the analogy, if you had a million dollars 10 years ago, that could provide you a very comfortable retirement in terms of, uh, you know, dollars per year. Um, you need, a, if, if you want $100,000 a year in retirement, I think you have to probably need $2.5 or, or so, you know, whereas 10 years ago, given where yields were, you, you need a fraction of that. So I think there has to be a whole reframing of the way we communicate. Um, and the other thing is volatility. You can, if you're a 25-year-old, or 35-year-old and your portfolio goes down for 10%, if you're talking about an income in retirement at age 65, it has no impact. You know, and so people start to understand volatility relative to the end game. It's just so I think the industry, but as soon as you, everyone's obsessed about how much the capital value's gone up in the last twelve months compared to everyone else. You can't, you, you don't move You know that doesn't that doesn't work. That's what they focus on.
0: That, that's definitely a narrative problem, and I think the narrative is really around the the role of income. Um, and you know, you can be able to receive an income stream without having too much of a concern about the capital. Uh, value uh, because capital yep. capital prices your 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 valuation will change right that's just the way markets do work so that will move but typically the the dividend or income stream is pretty steady and so Absolutely. that's what you should be thinking about doing how do i build that income stream for retirement and uh yep. that- yeah but any other, of course the other issue of course is as you're projecting you know there's a lot of scope for manipulation and
1: projecting And so I think, you know, the the government could come out, should be quite clear on the rules of projecting so that that isn't, that isn't manipulated to make you sort of look like you're going to get a much bigger income in retirement than you actually can. So I think, you know, there's there's a separate challenge there, but I still think, you know, we are a retirement, it's a retirement industry. It's not an accumulation industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that needs to be, you know, needs to be a bit of a focus on that. But look, you know, it's quite exciting being here in New Zealand. I mean, we're about 15 years behind the Australian market, but often you can. It's like mobile phones. You know, some countries didn't go to landline; they went straight to mobile. So you can jump technology. So I, you know, I'm going to stay very close to Australia, uh, just to see developments there. Certainly in the wealth sector as well, just to see what innovation happens, um, and you know, try apply it here in New Zealand without having to go through a sort of a, a painful learning process. So it's a, it's a it's a good test case. Actually, and I have to say I um, I'm a bit sort of jaded today, mm-hmm. having sat up most of last night to watch New Zealand clinch that uh, the the ICC cricket final. I still have a lot of my Aussie mates been a bit sort of skeptical about New Zealand being the the champs, given that we never seem to be able to bat against Australia. But uh, nonetheless, that was. Uh,
0: Oh, don't worry. You always win the Bledisloe Cup, so uh, I, I don't think you should really be t- <laughs> too upset. It'll be interesting against.
1: this year, though. I actually think Australia might be quite competitive. Um, you know, it, it doesn't look bad on the super super rugby form, but I think as a as a team of 15, I think you're going to be very competitive. I certainly hope so.
0: Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you again, Sean. Thank you very much for your time today, and it's great to have you back for the hundreds episodes.
1: Yeah, look, I'm really, really proud to be number one and number hundred. Um, you know, I sort of thought that with the hundred there had to be a cricket analogy, so sorry, I had to bring that in. I know it's quite painful for you Aussies, but uh, it's you know, it's been a pleasure, Alex. I've really enjoyed the conversation, mate. I look forward to number one thousand, maybe.
0: Feels a long way away, but who knows? Thank you very much. All right, man. Thank you for joining us. All views expressed on this podcast are subject to change and do not necessarily reflect the views of Connexus Financial. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice.